Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for November 2nd is Luke 18, verse 15, through the end of chapter 19. People were bringing infants or little children to Jesus that he might touch them, that he might bless them. The disciples were trying to stop the people. Jesus intervened, however, and said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. By faith, not by logic, just by believing. Because it's what they were told, and that's how it should be for all of us. Taking the word of God, believing it, let us be like little children in that regard. A ruler comes and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I wonder what he was a ruler of. Likely a member of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the religious elite, perhaps. Jesus says, you know the commands. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie about your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. The ruler says, I've done all of these since I was young. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor, then come follow me. And this nameless ruler goes off sad because he had great wealth. Jesus uses this interaction to teach the disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God in verse 24. The word translated wealth or maybe riches in many Bibles. It actually means possessions. How hard it is for those who have possessions to enter the kingdom of heaven. Even one possession. That word could literally be translated a thing that one needs or uses. How hard it is for anyone who owns something that they need or use to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's why it was astonishing to the disciples and to those following him. How then can anyone be saved? Everybody owns something that they use. Jesus answered, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's easier for a camel that stands seven feet tall to go through the eye of a needle that I struggle to get thread to go through than for a man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Somebody who has a possession. I'm not talking about a billion dollars in the bank. I'm talking about owning something that you use. How could anybody be saved then? What's impossible with man is possible with God. Salvation is a miracle. It's a work of God. And whatever you leave behind for the kingdom of God, God will reward you. He'll repay you even a hundredfold more in this present age, plus eternal life. But you have to be willing to forsake it all. Jesus, for a third time, predicts his death. I must go and I'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock me. They will spit on me. They will flog or scourge me. When he said they would kill him and he would rise on the third day, the meaning of that saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp it. Because many truths in the kingdom are hidden for those who will seek. So much of what God says is hidden because it's valuable and we don't 
understand its value until we seek it and then we find it. He hides it, not for himself, not for the sake of the truth, but for the sake of those who are willing to search. Jesus heals a blind man on the way to Jericho. This man begins crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks the man. Lord, I want to see. And what's amazing is Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. That word save has the meaning of being transferred from a place of danger to a place of safety. It could be translated delivered. Your faith has delivered you. And it often talks about spiritual salvation. He realized that Jesus had come to deliver the people to save them from the power of sin and put them into a place of safety in relationship with God. Chapter 19, Jesus visits Zacchaeus. It's interesting that this tax collector who was hated, but he was a very rich man, was not tall enough to see Jesus. And so he climbed the sycamore tree. If you think of the tree representing Israel or a kingdom, like somebody climbing a ladder, trying to get to the top of their organization on the backs of other people. He had climbed up by pushing others down in life financially. And now he's climbing this tree to see over the other people where in the natural realm, he was unable to see past people who towered over him. Some people would be too embarrassed to climb a tree as a grown man to catch a glimpse of someone walking by, but Jesus takes note of him. I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of my money to the poor, and whatever I've taken from anyone, I will repay them four times over. Today, salvation has come to this house. This man is a son of Abraham, too. For the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost. A lot of people were seeing everything that Jesus was doing. They were listening to his words and they thought, surely the kingdom of heaven is coming now. It's about to appear in such a way that it's going to rock this physical world. Finally, we are being delivered and we are going to be the ones in control. We are going to overthrow the Romans. The righteous king that was prophesied is coming. We're going to have a new modern day David and Solomon and Moses and Elijah all wrapped up in one. It's going to be glorious. We are going to be the envy of the world and it's happening now. And so Jesus tells them a parable to help them understand that it's not happening now, not in the sense that they thought. Let me tell you a story, he says. A nobleman is going to a distant land to be commissioned, to be given a land where he's going to be king. He has all of these servants. He places the servants in charge of varying amounts of money and tells them to be good stewards while he's away. But as soon as he leaves, they send a delegation after him with the message, we don't want this man to be our ruler. It's kind of like those who don't want God, the God of the Bible in his true form, to be God. They don't like something about the nature of God. Maybe it's his wrath or his intolerance of sin. And so they redefine him into something that's more palatable. Oh, our God is a God of love. He accepts you the way you are. 
You don't have to change. You don't have to stop sinning. Let's just focus on the love parts of the Bible and skip over all the parts we don't like. After his coronation and he's authorized to become king, he goes back and checks the status of the investment that he had given to the different servants. And the first one comes forward and says, Sir, I've taken your mina, which was a coin that was worth about a hundred days' wages. Sir, I've taken your mina and I've created wealth from it. The one is now worth ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. I will place you in well done, good and faithful servant. I will place you in charge of ten cities. The second servant comes. Sir, I've taken your mina and I've invested and I now have five minas. I will place you in charge of five cities. The third servant comes forward. Master, here's your mina back. I've kept it safe. I wrapped it in a cloth. It's clean. Look, it's just like it was when you gave it to me. It's not even been used at all. I was afraid of you because you're such a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit. You reap what you didn't even sow. And so I was afraid. Didn't want to lose it. So here it is. The king says, your words will be used against you. You say that I take what's not mine and that I reap what I didn't even sow. The very least, you could have placed this money in the bank and collected interest. Take his coin from him and give it to the one who has 10. The people say, but he's already got 10. And the wise king's response is he's proven himself to be a good steward because good stewardship is multiplication and good stewardship will be rewarded. Those who steward it well will receive more and those who do not steward it because they're wicked or they're lazy or they make excuses, those who do nothing with what they've been given, even what they have, will be taken away. Because we are expected to be good stewards, learning how to make it multiply. Jesus was trying to get across the kingdom of heaven. He is the king who is coming back someday, and we will all stand before him. And it applies, of course, to the kingdom of heaven and bearing fruit for the kingdom. It applies to this life. It applies to our finances. The only thing worse than keeping that coin wrapped in a cloth safe so it wouldn't be lost, would be to go and squander it on pleasures of this world. We all must realize what we've been given is not ours. And we all have been given the same thing in varying degrees. We all have different strengths and qualities, but he finishes the parable by saying, I tell you, everyone who has more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and execute them in my presence. Such harsh words from a loving king. It's tempting to want to redefine him, to leave that last sentence off, to make for ourselves a new God. We might as well send a delegation that says, we don't want him to be our ruler. And in God's mercy and in his kindness, he does not force anyone to spend eternity with him, but those who deny him will face judgment. They will be cut off. They will be executed. From there, we read about the triumphal entry, and we covered that somewhat yesterday, the fulfillment of prophecies in Psalms 118 and 
Jeremiah and Isaiah and countless other Old Testament scriptures. And as he goes into the city, he weeps for it. If only you knew what would bring peace. But it's been hidden from you because they don't want it. They were unwilling to seek it. And he says in verse 44, you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Let's be people who strive to understand, who knock so that the door will be opened. Let's not miss it when God is visiting us. Let's not miss it. As Jesus went from there into the temple and began cleansing it, driving out the money changers and the business people who were making a profit off of ordinary people who just wanted to have a relationship with God, those who were trying to do what they had been taught to do to maintain a place of holiness and order of a spiritual kind in their lives. We have to be mindful of our churches and our church leaders and ministry leaders today. It is most certainly not wrong for people to be compensated for the time they invest for the work they do in order to teach the people of God. But woe to the people who become exorbitantly wealthy and use it for their own purposes off the backs of those who are barely scraping by. How many books do you need to sell before you just make it free and publicly available to anyone? God's house should be a house of prayer. It's a place of communion with God, relationship with Him, two-way communication going back and forth where people hear from God and they're able to present their requests to Him as well. But they've made it a den of thieves where people are stealing from the common man. It should not be in the kingdom of heaven, and it will not be in the kingdom of heaven when He comes and we all face judgment for our actions. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those of you who are interested, I am a strategic listing specialist and a senior real estate specialist currently selling homes in Southwest Florida around Fort Myers and Naples. It'd be my honor to list your home for sale and help you. I am also building a team of real estate agents nationwide. Check out Agent David Doty dot com to connect and have a discovery call. Thank you for your consideration.